0: Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The
1: Persistence. 33 days until the most important election of our lives. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we can all make a difference right now.
0: Melinda McGraw, you just heard her, actress, activist, and my wife, is here today to help discuss the absolutely insane clown car of lying, puppy-killing Republican
1: Senate candidates. And then Steve has a great interview to talk about a truly great Senate candidate in Wisconsin with one of the best organizers in the country, chair of the Wisconsin Democratic Party, Ben Wickler. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Melinda McGraw. And,
0: and this, this is How We Win. win. Thank you, my dear, for joining us and, and helping out today as a co-host of the I How know We Win podcast. It is podcast.
1: My pleasure to be here with my favorite activist, handsome, best friend and partner and husband, Well, that's
0: you. nice. I should probably cut that out, but maybe I'll leave it. <laughs> anyway, before we get started with the news, of course, and this is the news, we, we want to acknowledge everyone in Florida and Puerto Rico who have been affected by these hurricanes, Florida getting hit with, uh, once again, the worst hurricane in Florida history. It just keeps getting worse and worse. Um, as we feel, unfortunately, the ravaging effects of climate change. Mm. And I was really happy to see Biden stepping up in aid, uh, For not just Florida, but for Puerto Rico, nothing to take away from how important it was to cover the Florida hurricane. Um, But 24-7, that was on the news, and we barely got a blip of um, the devastating hurricane that that hit uh, Puerto Rico, which these are Americans. Um, Yeah, that
1: was a glaring, extremely unfortunate and disappointing few days there of, you know, seeing that and saying like, well, this was just happening and uh, we are not hearing about it. So, and it just goes to show you the systemic, you know, racism. it was fun. That's what it is in our media yeah. still and in, in in all of the media. It was every station and it's just too bad. But it, it was so heartbreaking. And I, you know, we were just talking about all the kids there and they're, you know, it's, it isn't just the trauma of families losing everything in their economic situation and having to uproot. You just think about the memories and, you know, their little lovies and, uh, you know, the. Mm. It, they will be before that and after that for him, them forever more. And it is so heartbreaking and it's going to be a very long process. And so we're really sending them a lot of love and healing. It will be,
0: yes. Um, so let's talk about... The news of the week. There was some stuff of substance that I really wanted to discuss with you. And then we had breaking news about two Republican Senate candidates. First of all, Herschel Walker um, and the entire Republican Party rallying around him. And just (sighs) once again, a blatant show of hypocrisy, which I mean, if there's a brand for the Republican Party, it would be hypocrisy. But uh, reportedly, Daily Beast reported that he paid for uh, an abortion. Um, He's Mm -hmm. denying it and wants to sue the Daily Beast for defamation. His uh, own son has come forward and says that it's true and that uh, he has lived through uh, abuse from his his dad and his mom lived through terrible abuse from Herschel Walker Mm -hmm. and that he never should have run
1: for office and put them through this and – does it sound familiar? It sounds strangely familiar. But it's, it isn't just hypocrisy, though. It's misogyny. It's misogyny. Yeah. You know, because inherent in all of that is the same thing of just wanting to control. So we're going to do what we want to do and pay for the women's abortions if we don't want to do that. But we're going to make sure that you don't have a choice to do. So it's all related. The hypocrisy and the misogyny and the racism it all goes together in this package of delightful Extreme fascism,
0: fuckery. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, it's it's
0: pretty jaw dropping in a in a place where our jaws seem to have hit the floor a long time ago. My jaw is um,
1: gone. I have no jaw. I just took <laughs> it off. Dislocated it. Took it off. <laughs> I don't right. know how I'm talking right now.
0: It's it's just uh, all tongue and upper <laughs> mouth Gumming. <laughs> <laughs> but um, then. Like, oh. I don't even know how to approach this. Next one, uh, Doctor Oz. Do you, we
1: have to call him Doctor?
0: That uh, it's a fair fair point. Oh, yeah. Um, the shy, Oz shyster, <laughs> uh you know, grifter. The Oz snake oil salesman Oz, who um, uh, lives in New Jersey and is running for Senate in Pennsylvania. Um, reporting has come out. That uh, his research company and mm-hmm. under his direct supervision uh, literally killed over 300 puppies. <sighs> like going from misogyny cartoon villain. and racism yeah. to just villainous cruelty.
1: Yes, yes. Again, hatred and hypocrisy because he was supposed to be Mr. Natural Guy, right? Mr., you don't need Western medicine. There's all of these natural treatments you can use that are less harmful, have less impact. <laughs> and he's here, you know, and he, murdering was, he, was puppies. About, he
0: was about making money. Clearly. Yeah.
1: Someone said, basically, in effect, making Mitt Romney with his story of strapping the family dog on his roof, the roof of his car for a road trip, look like a PETA member. Dr. Oz has you know, it turns out was the head of this testing group of scientists who were experimenting on animals, they would experiment on the animals, and once they euthanized them by putting syringes into their hearts with no
0: they put, anesthesia... They they, they, they it, it wasn't you, to euthanize them. They actually put expired drugs into their heart uh, to, you know, a, as test subjects, you know.
1: And then put them into garbage bags with living puppies... The, their same litter I mean you can't make it's something out of the Dahmer untold Dahmer monster story yeah. it's just unbelievable sick
0: I mean, Mitch McConnell was complaining about the quality of his Republican Senate (laughs) candidates. (laughs) He was like, you know, we got some candidates here that...
1: I wonder if he thinks Dr. Oz is going to rush to his defense in defense of Donald Trump's violent tweets about him having an all-caps death wish and his racist language about his former cabinet member, Elaine Chao, Mitch McConnell's wife. Does he think uh, Mehmet Oz and... Those guys, he knows they're not going to defend him, and neither is anybody else, including Lindsey Graham or anybody else who used to be considered like an actual Republican.
0: Well, to to pick our jaws off the floor um, and just the abject cruelty of all of this, the big question for you, and I know the answer, I'm just saying it to hear it, is do you think this will change any Republicans' minds when it comes to voting for either of these two senators?
1: So unfortunately, I think that the people who understand that those seats must be filled because they want to keep power at any costs are not going to care and it's not going to move the needle. But I do believe there are people who, don't, who see how extreme it's becoming. I do believe there are people who maybe were undecided, who hadn't decided to vote for a Democrat because they've never voted for a Democrat in their lives, who will either be turned off and stay home, Mm -hmm. which means that there's more votes for Democrats will matter. Or they might decide this is out of control because they believe for a democracy to run, there has to be a center. And they are so extreme to the right that the only way to keep a center is to rebalance it by voting on the other side. We have two parties. There are no centrist Republicans and the ones that are have been pushed out. Right. So, unfortunately, I do believe there are central who people who consider themselves centrist Republicans, who might vote for Democrat now because they realize that their party has gone all the so extreme to the right. So, I do think there are, and that's what we used to call swing voters. Yeah. Those are actually, but I think they it will turn off some people, but how many, would hope, I don't
0: know. You would hope but that this is who, a bridge too far for some of their voters.
1: People who want to ban abortion and people who are happy about the Supreme Court taking up this voting rights and people who believe the election are stolen, of course they won't care.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I certainly know what our job is <laughs> to do, and that's to, to make sure that um, uh, we don't rely on voter apathy from the Republicans. We need to make sure that, uh, that we all know as Democrats what the stakes are. So, Absolutely. Um, let's talk about this week's Hero of the Week. Today's Heroes, actually Heroes, there's two of them of the week, uh, is also part of our to-do list. So, oh. so a weird little combo Hero of the Week to-do list. My Heroes of the Week are... Our friends, Wayne Liebman and Greg Bartlett. Wayne and Greg. We know them both. They are uh, Los Angeles-based activists, and we have been organizing and working together for a long time. Uh, They're both uh, California Democratic Party activists and delegates. They're just amazing people. They're
1: everywhere. They're everywhere.
0: And they've created a new Get Out the Vote tool. Uh, made by and for the grassroots. It's called bluevoterguide.org. And it's really cool. Voters enter their address and their ballot appears, complete with a list of endorsements from groups on the left to help make voting choices smarter, faster, and smoother.
1: That's so smart. You know, you think, why haven't we been doing that all along? It's incredible when people come up with a solution and you're like... Why didn't I think of that? Brilliant.
0: And it always comes from grassroots and they're tech-minded. It differs from other address lookup tools because it's partisan. So it's – and it's also not weighted down with a whole bunch of text. You don't have to read everything and get a PhD on the candidates. It just is returning endorsers. You know, it shows which groups are endorsing these candidates, which are a good uh, measure of support for a candidate or a ballot measure. Um, They don't collect names – they don't collect addresses. They're not building a database. It exists only to help people create their ballots. They are active in nine battleground states in Arizona, California, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Nevada, PA, Pennsylvania. Hello, Fetterman, Texas, oh. and Wisconsin. Wow. Hello, um, Man- Mandela. Um, So take a look at it, sign up, build up your ballot. It's bluevoterguide.org. We'll have a link in our show notes too. And uh, that's Greg and Wayne are my heroes for all that they continue to do. their relentless activism. So they are our heroes of the week. And it's also part of your to-do list for this week.
1: That's such a great tool. And it's so shareable because what people ask me more than anything, and I... They, because you're so busy, they come to me and they say, who are you and Steve voting for for sh- Sheriff? <laughs> can we ask you questions about what about this measure and what do you guys think of this? And so it's something you can share with your friends. Um, for, yeah. for where they live. And when people come to you as you are listener activists out there, uh, or if you're not sure, first of all, but if people come to you, and I know they do, they come to you for advice, because you listen to how we went every week, and you have it to give, you can give them this tool, and it's going to be uh, really helpful.
0: It's a great point. And that's another thing you can do with this tool is you create your own custom URL with your ballot on there that you can then share with friends. So when someone comes to you really? and says, who are you voting for? You, you can just send them a link. Okay, Go, that's, here's, here's my ballot. This is everyone that I'm voting for.
1: See, that's just super smart. When the tech makes the activism, I like that a lot. Uh, we have one more to-do list item. Do you want to talk about it? I do. This is the Women's March National Weekend of Action this weekend. And it's the Women's Wave, October 7th through 9th. We're fighting for our freedom. It is time for our feminist future. It is time for... A fall of reckoning. I like Mm -hmm. that. October 8th will mark one month until Election Day, and we're more fired up than ever to elect more women and pro-choice candidates around the country, and we are ready for the women's wave. Go to www.womensmarch.com and find the event near you. And can you believe what an incredible behemoth the Women's March has become? It's so exciting uh, for this week. This is going to be a very big year.
0: Now, let's talk about our reasons for hope. And I just want to hear what your reason for hope is, Melinda.
1: Well, the most amazing thing that I've seen this week, and I think it's been very hopeful with everything that's been going on, um, once the Iranian young woman, Masa Amini, was killed by the morality police for not wearing her uh, hijab the correct way, right, right. Um Women all over the world, including young women in Iran, in Istanbul, in Paris, in Los Angeles, have been rising up in solidarity, and they have been taking off their jobs, they have been cutting their hair, and they have been chanting, women, life, freedom, that we stand with the women of Iran, uh, and they have been saying, enough is enough. And when you think about the stakes that they're up against to protest like that. Right. And the, the literal mortal danger that they are in to do yeah. that, that is so inspiring to me. When we here still have freedom, we have the freedom to protest without being thrown in jail, and we still have time to stop this march against taking away women's rights. They are who I am, the world is looking to and seeing their example. It is so moving to see how unafraid they are. And they are mostly young and they are saying no. No. No more. And they are putting their lives on the line all over the world. And that, to me, it, it gives me so much hope and isn't deeply inspiring.
0: It's deeply inspiring to me, too, And seeing the images of the schoolchildren taking off their hijabs. Um, it's, uh, um, like you said, the, there's no higher cost. Their, you know, their literal mortality is at stake, you know, from this regime. And um, so uh, we are... You know, thinking about all the protesters, and we support them. We are in solidarity with them. They give us so much hope. And you are right. Again, uh, we know what our job is. To is right now is to make sure that that we don't relent here in That's our right. in our quest to protect our own freedoms and uh, and protect our democracy. We will do it. We will do it together.
1: And we will let our friends and family members know that they can do it too. And and that together we need everyone. That we need to talk to each other and to bring other people in. Women, life, freedom.
0: You're pretty awesome. I you're you're I like you a lot, Melinda McGraw.
1: <laughs> well, it's pretty great. We have a good fan club going thank, back and thank, forth. Fan club. Thanks here. For,
0: thanks for being here well, on you know, the show with me. I'm your number one listener. <laughs> I would hope, and I listen uh, to you the most as well. <laughs> certainly <too. laughs> true. Uh,
1: I'm even louder than you.
0: <laughs> um, thank you for being here, helping thank you for out. Having me, I'm, I'm excited am... for everyone to hear this interview with Ben Wickler, who is really, truly one of the best organizers in the country right now. And um, uh, he has a lot of very hopeful and encouraging things to say, so.
1: That's bomb for the soul. We all need it, let's hear it, I love Ben.
0: Ben Wickler was elected chair of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin in June of 2019. Now in his second term, he has led the party through an unbroken string of st- statewide victories including wisconsin's defeat of trump in 2020 and built the wisdoms to a new level of success and recognition as a force for progressive change i pulled that right off the wisdoms website because it is both true and a really nice bit of flexing chairman wickler welcome back to our show and thanks for being here
2: thanks so much david it's great to be on how we win It's my favorite topic
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I went back and listened to your previous interview. It brought back so much, all the feels. It was right before the Supreme Court election. The pandemic had just put us all into lockdown, and you didn't even know if you were going to actually have an election.
2: I remember sitting in the office where I am right now when we realized that the whole state was going to shut down, um, we had just told a group of volunteers from Seattle that we thought it probably wasn't a good idea for them to fly to Wisconsin and knock on doors through, who wanted to come and help out. And suddenly we were in the break glass in case of emergency scenario that we had actually prepared for just in case. We had a, you know, we had plans A, B, and C. We were we were definitely on plan C. Yeah. At that moment, uh, the activists, the governor, everyone was trying to figure out how to delay the election and just send ballots to everybody. And the Republicans were refusing to do it as polling locations in Milwaukee closed one after another. It went from 168 polling locations in our biggest city to five because poll workers were dropping out because they were terrified of contracting COVID. And I, you know, Republicans have never admitted this. It very much looks like they smelled opportunity if people in Milwaukee couldn't vote they were gonna win the state Supreme Court election. And they refused to lift a finger to do anything to make it safer to to delay the election. Uh, So we ran this giant operation to help people cast votes by mail, which is something that had never happened at scale in the state of Wisconsin before. We had tens of thousands of calls to our voter protection hotline. We had people crying on the phone as they were trying to figure out, would they expose their relative who had cancer if they went to vote, but how could they you know, it was, it was too late for them to get an absentee ballot. We were ready to sue. I mean, there was a U.S. Supreme Court case the night before that election. That's right. Uh, and the that's State right. Supreme Court case. And then on that election day, people were lining up with oxygen tanks, wearing masks in the rain in Milwaukee, outside of these giant polling places. There, there was one study afterwards that found that, of course, people did contract COVID that day. But voters refused to be suppressed. And there was a backlash to this attempt to weaponize COVID. And we wound up winning by 11 percentage points in a state Supreme Court race that gave us the winning vote that stopped Trump from being able to overturn at the presidential election in 2020. If we hadn't won that spring, then Wisconsin could have been the first domino to fall in Trump's coup attempt when he was suing to throw out the election results.
0: That's incredible. And that's so inspiring to, uh, to the reminder that people would not be suppressed and that they came out and voted in droves. The 2020 was the same thing. You know, we had uh, all over the country, huge lines, people would not be stopped. And, and, um, you know, we're facing similar voter suppression, uh, actually even, uh, worse, it's harder for people to vote in this coming election than it was in 2020. Um, and that gives me hope that people are, are uh, unfortunately going to stand in long lines and do the the hard work of voting, which shouldn't be hard work. So uh, that's a great reminder. Um, you had, as I stated some big victories in 2020, including uh, including the presidential take, taking the state. During the pandemic, you really led the way with digital organizing programs. We talked about this a lot on the last time you were on the show. How are you now building out these programs now that we can knock on doors and reach out to voters in person again? What's your hybrid approach looking like?
2: So we had a decision point after the uh, the worst moments in the pandemic receded. Obviously, there's still a pandemic happening. Right. We had to decide, do we go back to the way we did it before? Do we stick with the new way of doing it? Or do we come up with something yet newer? And we decided to go with option three. We now have a, a kind of three-pronged organizing program. We call it the Trident. The first prong is Ooh. neighborhood team-based, neighbor-to-neighbor canvassing conversations at doors, knocking on doors the old-fashioned way. The second with with some you know, secret sauce with other stuff that I can tell you about. But Mm -hmm. uh, the first is door-to-door canvassing. The second is virtual organizing as we blew out in the pandemic with virtual phone banks where folks from wherever they are can participate in calling through voters, especially folks who might have absentee ballots they haven't returned yet or who we know can request one because they requested one before or folks who were very confident will vote for Democrats if they get that reminder. Uh, Persuasion is easier in person, but... A lot of the work of politics is just moving people along a process and reminding them to do the thing they already want to do. So that's a really powerful thing for virtual organizing. And the third thing is a technique that has been growing and growing over the last couple election cycles. It played a big role in winning the Georgia runoffs in 2021, which is relational organizing. I knew you were going to say that. that. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So prong number three for us uh, is working with people to contact people in their networks, in their communities, not based on their neighborhood, but based on the relationships that they have. One study found that if you hear from someone you know, it's 13 times as powerful as hearing from a stranger. And of course, hearing even from a stranger, if it's a personal conversation, is much more powerful than seeing a TV ad. And so there's a an enormous return to actually mobilizing people through their networks. We're using tools that make it easy to do. We have a team just dedicated to relational organizing with people who've not been engaged in politics before, because often non-voters are more linked to other non-voters. And if you're a vote every election voter, you probably mostly hang out with other people who vote every time. It's a very kind of social norms-driven process. And
0: and your circle has heard your shtick a lot, probably, too.
2: (laughs) I'm insufferable. That's exactly right. My my (laughs) own friends uh, know for damn sure they better cast a ballot. So (laughs) those three prongs now give people something to do wherever they are, whatever they prefer. And what we know about voters is that, first of all, if they hear from multiple channels from multiple people that this election is important, that their vote is powerful, they can make a difference on something they fundamentally care about, they can stop their freedoms from being ripped away. Um, That repetition and the echo chamber kind of surround sound effect, that has an additional power, the different techniques actually amplify each other. And also some people never look at their phones or never answer the door or never look at their mail. And so if you don't have multiple channels, you're just gonna lose some people, you're gonna miss some people. So it's, it's not like, choose the most powerful tactic and stick with that. It's actually better to have a portfolio of different techniques to be able to reach everybody you've got to reach.
0: That's really exciting. I think that's something that we definitely learned. Uh, you know, it's being innovative in campaign work. You've managed to do it. You, you've you done it uh, for your your career. And I I think it's a credit also to your experience with change.org and move on and everything. But uh, my experience with a lot of campaign people is, They'll have some new ideas for how to reach out and uh, some new programs that they want to implement. But by the time it gets through the committee and kind of gets put together, you're you know weeks or you know a few months away from the election, and everyone freaks out and it's like, no, 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 we just need to go do this traditional tried and true thing that we've done forever. This is how we campaign. And, and those new ideas never get implemented. And I think the pandemic really forced people to look at new ways to reach out to voters. And to your point, what they found was that they were reaching voters that they were never never able to reach out to before because they were multimodal ways of, of reaching them. And, um, you know, like you said, young people, you know, I, I can't get my daughter to talk on the phone. She's just texts or DMs or whatever. She calls me sometimes, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, So – and and your other point about um, the phone banking, which uh, I joke about it being diminishing, but – and the returns being diminishing on it. But when you do what you talked about and that's be specific about the people that you're reaching out to and why you're reaching out to them, then it can be really uh, a helpful touch point still too. So –
2: I feel really lucky to work with an incredible team of people, and they are constantly coming up with new stuff to try. And I'm delighted to uh, you know, to be able to say, let's, let's go for it. Uh, also, the campaigns we work with have, I think, there's a kind of shared culture of innovation, of trying new stuff. The other thing that I think makes a big difference here that I, I'd encourage folks anywhere to, to look for opportunities to do is that by organizing in every election, school board races and city council races, judicial races, spring elections, fall elections, off-year, on-year elections, special elections, you get opportunities to experiment and to try stuff that then you can apply for the really big races. So there are things that we learned in the superintendent of public instruction race in the spring of 2021 and the Milwaukee mayor's race, which, you know, we were confident we'd win in a blowout, but we thought this is an important opportunity to to, to try some stuff. Uh, that was this spring. That we're now applying in the fall election, and that's that's something that a party organization, a grassroots organization, can do in a way that a campaign can't. Because you just have the one race when you're in a campaign. Maybe you can test something in the primary and use it in the general, but if you're in a campaign, it's your job not to leave anything to chance. If you're in a in a party organization. You can look for opportunities to actually run experiments and learn lessons from those, and then you can build from, you know, election to election to election instead of burning everything to the ground by the moment the polls close. Mm.
0: Well, that uh, tactic worked well for Republicans over the last fifty years. So why why shouldn't we we try getting involved in every single local <laughs> election? <laughs> um.
2: Fortunately, true, but it's a lesson I think it's uh, well worth us learning.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I mentioned that you were the you were the DC director at MoveOn and executive vice president at Change.org before you uh, took on the chair of WisDems. Um, when I first started organizing with Swing Left in 2017, it felt like grassroots groups and state parties were very much isolated from each other and were kind of organizing in their own silos. In fact, I think Uh, people were drawn to groups like Swing Left and Indivisible in a way because they weren't getting the kind of organizing that they wanted or were looking for from the Democratic Party. Um, Over the last four years, we've done a lot of work to build stronger coalitions. Um, How has that coordination changed how you organize and mobilize
2: volunteers? So the first thing, just to always be clear about there are coordination laws, there are some kinds of conversations that different types of organizations can't legally have sure. um, for organizations that are on the hard side, meaning they are on the coordinated side, which Swing Left often is. Uh, we can actually work directly to mobilize volunteers together to, to work on the coordinated campaigns. And I, I'm so proud, both of my, my predecessor chair, the work that my team has done as when I've been chair, and at a number of other parties like the Michigan Democratic Party, the new leader of the Ohio Democratic Party. There's there's a group of kind let's of give, movement Let's give let's give Rusty
0: Hicks at the California Democratic Party some Absolutely. love too. Cause. Yes. Rusty <laughs> has
2: invested in a year-round organizing program. And you know, Pennsylvania's launched year-round organizing. Program I had around. I had to. I
0: I chair our organizing department at at the California. Democratic Party committee there you go I, so. no,
2: I I had a great conversation with him uh at the at the Association of Democratic State Chairs meeting and and he described for me it, it's it takes I think a, a party chair in some places the executive director deciding that the the state party is actually going to be Part of the organizing infrastructure of the state yeah. finding the resources to actually bring people on not just in the final six weeks of the campaign but on a year-round basis and then having a culture that recognizes that a state party is part of the broader progressive fabric of a state of the country of a community and so it's not a competition for scarce resources or fighting over the same volunteers and trying to you know deride the the other people who are calling people, but right. figuring out how the whole can be more than the sum of its parts. And once you do that, it kind of sets people free to use their creativity and, you know, figure out, always compliant with the laws, how to, how to have the most effective program possible. I feel much better, honestly. Like Democrats, we can fall, progressive Democrats can fall into this kind of fixed sum mindset where... One organization's gain is another organization's loss and they can bicker and they can be factions and all this stuff, but all of us actually like doing productive work that actually has an impact. So it actually builds energy and you wind up having more people participate overall once it feels like it all adds up to something bigger and that's something that we've found at the democratic party of wisconsin there are amazing thriving grassroots groups all over our state and we see those as enormous compliments and sometimes you know sometimes the party's a great messenger sometimes it's not the right messenger to a particular voter if all of us do everything we can and we have a sense of how all the pieces fit together uh, that that creates a stronger movement and a stronger democracy
0: yeah i agree um i as I mentioned, do chair our organizing committee, the California um, Democratic Party. And I ran to be a delegate because I I wanted to help bridge those worlds. I wanted to, you know, make the body more of an organizing body and, and, you know, just do what I could to drive more people into action. And it's been really gratifying to see leaders like yourself and Rusty who are making these incredible, Incredibly powerful bodies, you know, more organizing centric, organized centric. I don't know what the term is, but anyway, <laughs> organizing centric, <You got> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and so it's 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 and, and we've been able to do a lot. We have people who are, you know, I, I guess my point is, I would encourage listeners, I would encourage people to. Um, Give their local Democratic Party another look if they're not involved. Like, you know, um, get involved with your local Democrats because um, Democratic clubs used to be what we call the grassroots. Now we look at these other groups outside of the Democratic Party and call them the grassroots. But the Democratic Party groups really are the grassroots.
2: Steve, I feel like your story is an example for everyone listening that if you think that the Democratic Party should be more grounded in grassroots organizing – guess what listener you can be the democratic party you can just sign up you can walk in there there are county parties in nearly every county in the United States of America and almost all of them are hungry for leadership they're hungry for people who will actually come in and do the work when i ran for chair i discovered that you know i, I was coming from move on i discovered there are tons of move on members in the democratic party like it mm-hmm. wasn't you know it wasn't that there was some giant divide. You'll find people that share your values that want to do the most effective thing, and it, it, if you feel like the Democratic Party is, you know, lost touch with the the, you know, the ground level fight in your community, you can just join the party, and then boom, the party's there. And once you do that, parties have all these like legal affordances. They have, you know, provisions in law that enable them to do things that other entities can't. That allow Great them point. to with candidates, allow them to, uh, you know, provide financial support and in-kind support to candidates in ways that other entities can't do. Um, in ways that you know, we we have access to data about every election that's happened since we started collecting data and what how voters responded to things. So we can make sure that the targeting that we do is as effective as possible. All this stuff that we get by dint of being the party, and so if you combine that with this kind of, uh, you know, organizing energy and 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 grassroots kind of building focus the result can be dynamite you just have to show up
0: great i love that all right well let's talk about your uh always important and competitive state of wisconsin um just this week kirsten cinema reminded us all again how important it is to pick up a couple of seats in the senate and i don't want to get into cinema's talk at mcconnell's library or wherever the hell she was but um you have an incredibly exciting candidate in your lieutenant governor, Mandela Barnes, running against, debatably, the dumbest man in the Senate, Ron Johnson. What can you tell us about this race right now?
2: Wisconsin might be the biggest opportunity for an upgrade. From We we actually have the Twitter <laughs> handle at the worst senator for, for Ron Johnson, which regularly we use to highlight many ways in which he's Absolutely terrible.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, to Mandela Barnes, who's a genuine champion for for working people, for freedoms that all of us want, I'll just give a couple examples. One thing is that Ron Johnson is terrible on reproductive freedom on 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 abortion to the point where he's he co-sponsored eight different national ban bills. He's uh, at this moment too chicken to actually publicly support the Lindsey Graham ban, but we know exactly what he would do, given that he's done it eight times before, mm-hmm. when he uh, was talking about if Roe was going to be struck down, this is before the Dobbs decision, he said, if people don't like the abortion laws in their state, they can move, which you think about somebody who you know, is caring for a sick parent or has kids and they're in school and they have their house and their job and their life, and he's telling them, move. That's, the, that's his solution. He said it wouldn't be a big deal. It might be a little messy if, if Dobbs were struck down. And then when the, when Dobbs was struck down, he declared victory. Of course, he voted to, to confirm all these people. He voted to confirm not just the U.S. Supreme Court justices who kind of dissembled about what they would do with Roe versus Wade, but he confirmed judges like uh, Brian Buescher, who said, I'm in favor of banning abortion. And to the U.S. District Court, uh, a whole bunch of judges that are, in fact, skeptical of contraception. I mean, yeah, Johnson is he's all the way there on this and he doesn't care how it affects people. As you can see, every time he opens his mouth about it, Um, he briefly was saying, oh, we should have a referendum in Wisconsin, which we don't have a process for that. So the governor proposed a a referendum process. He has a special session of the legislature that's going to meet. And Johnson immediately backed away and said, oh, we shouldn't rush anything. So he's running scared on his record on this. Um, Another thing that he is very unusual in the Republican Party is that he's openly in favor of something that Republicans have tried to do over and over, but they try to avoid talking about, which is privatizing Social Security. He's actually saying now on the campaign trail that, that they should put Social Security on the congressional budget chopping block every single year. He says it shouldn't be. I guarantee it should be something that is part of the regular budget process. And how, he is called he, a, how is he campaigning
0: on that? I mean, I call him the stupidest senator, but isn't isn't Social Security like a wildly popular thing for people? Like are you campaigning
2: against privatizing that? It's incredibly popular. And it's because people know that they pay into it every year and then they can rely on it. It has security right there in the name. The <laughs> idea that every single year, Ron Johnson should get to propose budget cuts to social security instead of having a guaranteed formula that is written into the law it's it is it's offensive to anyone who you know is thinking about their retirement or who has a parent who's going to retire at some point i mean social security is more than half the income for more than half the seniors in america yeah. and it's a it's a manifest threat so you ask like why is he doing all this stuff if you look at what he's actually done with his power the answer becomes kind of appallingly clear which is that he has a couple of hard right billionaire donors who put $30 million into his last campaign in 2016 and got him over the finish line. And he then turned around and wrote a tax cut that benefited them, spe- like the specific kind of company that they own and that he owns. And they made $215 million, these two people, in a single year mm-hmm. from the tax cut that he insisted on that was added to the Trump tax bill at his demand. Uh, he said he wasn't going to vote for Trump's tax bill unless this tax cut was added. So he's just there to enrich them. And they've now oh, pulled well, a nice return
0: dollars. on their investment. That was wily. I mean, <laughs> We, the rest
2: of us don't have access to those kinds of 10 to one returns. Yeah, uh, This is, this is ATM politics at its worst. And Johnson, you know, his own net worth has doubled while he's been in office. He's done very well for himself. It's, he's just out to serve himself, his political career, his, his, his donors and not anybody else. And you see that from his trying to, repeal the Affordable Care Act. He's saying that that's something they should do if they get power again. You can see it. He's one of only seven any of anyone. They're all Republicans in the Senate who voted against banning surprise medical bills, which are offensive to anyone who's not in the surprise medical bill industry, but that's why <laughs> someone just really likes being able to do those. It's, there's n- anything that affects working people in our state, the middle class in Wisconsin, He's against it. Anything that helps enrich him and his ultra-wealthy donors, he's for it. And incidentally, one of those donors is the biggest funder of the Stop the Steal protest, Dick mm. Uline, who's a Republican mega-donor. And as Ron Johnson put it, he was only involved for a few seconds in trying to overturn the 20, 2020 election. <laughs> yeah. Just the, just the tip. 100%. Yep, it's a, a five-second rule for insurrection. It's a, it's <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, well, now, so, um that's well. That's Ron Johnson. Mandela Barnes, on the other hand, yeah, I was gonna say no bones. Yeah, so he's uh, he's very clear. We need to put the filibuster aside and encode Roe versus Wade, the Women's Health Protection Act, into law. It's sponsored by our other senator from Wisconsin, Tammy Baldwin, uh, he is. His dad worked 30 years on an assembly line, third shift UAW auto worker. So he understands in his bones, you know, what it means to actually build stuff in the United States. Ron Johnson's pro outsourcing, that's one of his, one of his hobby hordes is he thinks, he said it would be ridiculous to bring manufacturing back to the United States. Um, Mandela is someone who actually understands working people across the state and is ready to to fight for them. And, you know, you you never have to worry about social security. He's someone who will fight to Expand benefits, make sure that people get the kind of support that they need. Um, so he's he's somebody who resonates with folks across the state. He'd been one of the youngest senators in the in the US Senate. He's 35. Uh, he's been a, an activist, an organizer, state legislator, and a lieutenant governor. And he's someone that, that we can trust in a way that we know that we can't trust Ron Johnson to stick up for anyone but himself.
0: Yeah. Um, how what's the best way for listeners people from all over the country to uh, get involved in, and support his campaign
2: so we are looking for time treasure and talent the the treasure if you go to with uh, well go to Mandela uh, and and click on the donate button uh, Mandela can use your help the the special interests who funded Ron Johnson's last campaign and got their big return are back at it they are outspending independent groups and, and pouring ads into Wisconsin uh, really hideous ads that are trying to divide Wisconsinites in order to allow you know the ultra rich to get ultra richer. So go to MandelaBarnes.com and click on the donate button. Once you've maxed out to Mandela Barnes, I hope folks will go to donate to the Democratic Party of Wisconsin at WisDems.org slash donate. And then volunteer. If you go to wisdemsorg slash volunteer, that's Wisdems.org slash volunteer, we will put you to work. You if you're here, you can knock on doors. If you're anywhere, you can make phone calls. There's tons of ways to help. And every moment uh, from we're recording this with 42 days left until the polls close every moment between now and the end of this election is going to make a difference in a race that could determine whether we actually get that 52nd vote in the Senate that we so urgently urgently need and by the way we have a governor's race that's massively important we have state legislative races there's so much when you turn out voters for Mandela Barnes you're helping save democracy up and down the ballot so it is go time dive in and uh Seeing Mandela Barnes sworn in and seeing Ron Johnson take his last flight to his vacation home in Florida um, and uh, and be out of public life forever will be a, a very very satisfying moment.
0: So satisfying, and I I actually you know when you look at the numbers, people are uh, feeling decent about our chances of taking you know holding on to the Senate and maybe adding some seats, and then they're worried about the House of Representatives more. Um, I actually think this seat, uh, has to flip for us to get the kind of majority that we need in the Senate to make, um, Cinemansion, uh, not as relevant. And, um, I, I don't think we do it without flipping this seat. So, um, all those links will, will be on our show notes. And of course, um, Lieutenant Governor Barnes has been on our, how we win fund too, and, um, I know our listeners want to get involved directly there. Um, Before I let you go, I want to digress just a little bit. I want to ask you because um, you've had a really fun and varied career. You helped develop Al Franken's radio show and hosted your own very successful podcast called The Good Fight. And if our listeners will remember that, it was almost 10 years ago that you launched that, Um, I think, if I'm correct. Oh, you're right. Yeah. This makes you an OG of progressive alternative media, um, truth tellers, champions of democracy are even more important right now to fight back against all the lies and conspiracy theorists. Um, it's why I'm so passionate about this space. Do you ever think about getting back into it?
2: I, uh, I mean, I, I'm enjoying being on your podcast right now. I think progressive <laughs> media, alternative media, is incredibly important, and you know, my hands are super full doing what I'm doing right now to, to elect folks. and but I, Plus I the three kids, right? About it. And I have three kids. I had a moment when I was doing, I had my second child was born and I had my podcast and I was move on DC director. And I was like, I actually can't do all of this at once. So that's when the, when the podcast went on hold, but the, I mean, I, I think there's an enormous value to, to speaking truth and getting the message out in an alternate way. And when you look at the effect, the distorting effect that right-wing media has had um, it's, also, in a way that I think we need to, we need to understand and internalize. It's helped create a sense of a conservative movement, and with now having a wave of new, more progressive, you know, alternative media outlets on on our side, shows like yours and uh, so many other efforts. There's now a radio network in, in Wisconsin as well. Um, those things help to create a sense of a movement that can understand itself and can actually have internal conversations in a way that I think is is really constructive and important and uh all for all the right wing yammering about the so-called liberal media when if you listen to someone on NPR saying we what they mean is we everyone in society all of America they don't mean like we progressives you can't have an internal movement conversation in uh you know in media outlets that are to their core, rooted in an idea of kind of both sides. Right. And so we have to have spaces like this. I think it's I think it's vital. And I'm I'm grateful for, for you carrying the torch and everyone who works to carry that <laughs> torch. Um and uh I think there's there's an enormous continued opportunity to grow, especially as technology changes, it makes it more possible for people to have bigger microphones.
0: So you're thinking about getting back into it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: This is your words, pal.
0: (laughs) I think a lot of people would enjoy that. But um, last question before I let you go, the same question that we ended with last time and that we always end with. What gives you the most hope right now?
2: The thing that gives me the most hope is something that I was terrified would not happen that is happening, which is. You know, in twenty seventeen, there was this flowering of progressive energy. This after Trump got elected, it was like a shockwave that ripped through America. There are people who had never left the fight, uh, who were often pretty beleaguered at that point. And suddenly millions of People who had not been involved were getting politicized, getting active, seeking out information, marching, starting with the Women's March, the fight against the repeal, the Affordable Care Act. So many different movements from the movement for black lives to the you know, movement for immigration justice, to the disability rights movement, to, to the women's movement, to so many different pieces of this work. Um, and then took that energy and turned it into political energy and helped win a trifecta and and really um, defy a lot of historical trends, to be able to throw out a would-be authoritarian after a single term, something you don't see in other countries that have had the same kinds of afflictions, just extraordinary. But all the political science literature says, after you win, you demobilize. And what we've seen over and over is that Democrats win, control the presidency, Bill Clinton in 92, Barack Obama in 2008, and then the midterm comes and all the energy is gone. And what I've seen in this election, and the jury's still out, we could still lose. We could lose by a landslide. We could lose by a hair's breadth. Or we could win by a hair's breadth. Mm-hmm. I don't really see a world where we win by a landslide. But what we've seen is that people have stayed engaged. The the, I go to these meetings of, of groups that started in 2017 in the wake of Trump's victory, and they're still going strong. They're still writing postcards and knocking on doors and finding ways to get involved, recruiting people for local elections. This infrastructure has not faded. I think it's accelerated and strengthened since the since the the trump years and the resistance movement and that is a tremendous source of hope for me it means that this is not it's not just a reaction it's coming from something deeper a belief in each other in the idea of democracy in in a set and an understanding of the threat but also in the the belief of the promise of, of what america what this country could be if we all join together to demand that that it lives up to its highest ideals. And that, to me, is a tremendous source of energy and hope, even in really bleak moments. Absolutely. That's very powerful. Uh, Chairman Wickler,
0: thank you so much for, uh, it's great catching up with you. Thank you for all the work that you have done and continue to do. And thanks for being on the show.
2: Thanks so much, Steve. It's been a tremendous pleasure.
0: Thank you for joining us today. This is How We Win. We win when we all get involved. We want to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or tweet to us at bluesboysteve and at howwewinpod. You can tweet to my lovely wife, Melinda McGraw,
1: at Melinda underscore McGraw.
0: (laughs) Couldn't be easier. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods and share our show with your friends and family. Believe me, we have shared with our family.
1: (laughs) We are so grateful for you, activist listeners. We know that you're out there persevering with us, alongside us. Thank you for listening and for doing everything you do. You are so fantastic. Ditto.